AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news. Sports talk. Comedians or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Hey, everyone. This is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. I've been needing a quick getaway with my family, and the 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe is the perfect vehicle to take us there. It has standard third-row seating, so I'm able to pack my entire family, plus pets in the car, while also having enough room for our camping essentials. Available H-Track all-wheel drive will get us through any dirt trails, and available dual wireless charging pads will ensure we never have to worry about getting stuck with a dead phone in the middle of nowhere. Visit HyundaiUSA.com. Or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome to Movie Crush, a production of iHeartRadio. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Movie Crush, Friday interview a dish, family and friends a dish. On top of that, because today, just now, he just left, I sat down with uh, my oldest friend, everyone. Uh, my oldest friend is not from six and seven years old. Uh, my oldest friend is from about the ninth grade, uh, Jim Isa. We met in the ninth grade. We talked a little bit about this at the beginning, had a bunch of classes together in the 10th grade. And that's when we really became rock-solid pals. And uh, Jim and I, he kind of helped me kickstart my broadcasting career because we had a little radio show in high school. And that was kind of the first time I ever did anything like this on a microphone was with him. And he was my first uh, creative partner, uh, geez, 30-something years ago, which is crazy. And that makes us uh, super old. But uh, Jim came in here um, to talk about Rushmore. Uh, after debating about various films like Almost Famous and Singing in the Rain and uh, Barton Fink and some other good films, he settled on that. Uh, Jim uh, lives down the street from me now. It's kind of cool. We all we live in the same neighborhood. Jim is uh, the drummer in our old man band, El Chipo, and uh, he is a director. He works in advertising now and directs a lot of uh, television commercials, but he has directed a feature film called Good Intentions and uh, was the founder of a very influential improv group in Atlanta many years ago called The Whole World Theater, which is still going strong, and made his uh, 
career as an actor for a while and as an editor for a while. And Jim is just a super talented guy and uh, really one of my brothers in life. And so it was a long time coming, but it was great to get Jim in here, someone I really think a lot of and uh, and his opinion and thoughts on art and culture and stuff like that. Um, And it's just always fun to sit down with my old pal. Let's be honest. So that's what we did. And we talked about Rushmore, uh, the second film from the great, great Wes Anderson, uh, a movie we both adore. And it was a lot of fun. And also, by the way, there was a little bit of we had a little bit of microphone crackle going on uh, near the beginning. Uh, And we decided rather than trying to recreate the magic of the first, you know, 10 minutes of a podcast, which is never a good idea, we decided to just clean it up as best we could. And then uh, we fixed the problem from there on out. So uh, sorry about that. But I hope you can forgive us. So here we go with Jim Issa on Rushmore. How you doing? I'm good. I'm good. It's uh, good. My oldest friend. I know. (laughs) Ninth grade? Yeah, ninth grade. I was thinking about this the other day. Uh, We definitely met in ninth grade, Mm -hmm. but... Tenth grade was that year where we had like four classes out of six together or something. Yeah. Or maybe even five. Yeah. And that was where it was, you know, things got really silly. Uh, um, <laughs> I, I, I remember the class and I remember uh, – I just don't remember the teachers were in tenth grade. It's like – Well, the only thing I remember was uh, Miss Karn geometry. Yeah. Which was tough. Uh, and we were in that class together. Yeah. And a couple of others. I just can't remember what. Um, but for those of you listening, Jim was uh, president of student council and I was vice president. <laughs> and uh, you ran unopposed, didn't I did. You? I did. Yeah. Good for you. Thank you. <laughs> uh, I never aspired for that position at all. So I ran uh, against my prom date. Remember Heather Zarrett? Yeah. And you won. I mean, Heather Zarrett's great. But She's great. We had uh, – I mean, our, our high school career, like – our senior year our was – uh, yeah. Uh-huh. I mean, well, it started at – what did we – we started a radio show. I mean, that was your Well, yeah, idea. That's, that's part two is – was that my idea? Yeah, because I was – so So the president of the student council would do the daily announcements. Right. And you were on the newspaper staff. Right. And I wasn't smart enough to get on the newspaper staff. Junior year, you were not on, right? I was not on, But you no. were senior year. Because you talked Mrs. Lancaster. Lancaster into <laughs> getting me on the really? newspaper staff – yeah, oh. uh, and said we're going to do a radio show instead of Jim doing the daily announcements. Right. So W-R-H-S. my powerful <laughs> position in your brains brought uh, the first read-in WRHS show. Which was every day instead of the announcements, we would do just like this, what, like six-minute – the announcements were included. But we would do comedy bits and it was really – I don't think anyone ever listened. Yeah, of course they did. They all – yes. Well, I mean they had to but I don't – I literally don't remember one person ever coming up and being like, you guys do a great job. I know. Well, remember the it's Friday thing we do every day. Yeah, it's Friday. People would do that to me. And even afterwards, I think Joey Wong or whoever took over that position attempted the it's Friday fanfare thing. Just didn't work out. Just didn't have it. (laughs) Well, we had the relationship with Miss um, uh, Abercrombie. Oh, yeah. The, the assistant vice principal uh-huh. or the vice principal. She was over there in the front office, right? Yeah. I yeah. remember calling her the mistress of the dark. That's right. <laughs> and then there was the picture of the uh, uh, sure. celebrity football player. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, at the risk of a trip down memory lane, Good I Lord. think we should talk a little bit more about what's most interesting about you. Well, not what's most interesting, but like you're a director and I haven't had a lot of directors in here. Um, 
actually, let me jump back. Before that, let's talk about Whole World. Because okay. Jim was one of – were you one of the founders? Yeah. It was, there was a few of us, the founding members. Okay. Um, so it started off um, – it started off with uh, a guy named David Webster coming to Atlanta and teaching a workshop. And right. Took, this is improv yeah. theater. And this is in 94. Yep, kind of before – I mean, of course, improv was going on, but it's not like now, I feel like. Yeah. Where there's just so much of that stuff. Yeah. So it, so it started off as just like a workshop, and then this guy's like, hey, I'm thinking about moving to Atlanta. And I'm like, oh, I'll tell my theater class about it. And Because you were an actor uh, yeah. studying at – well, studying at Georgia State Film. Mm-hmm. But were you taking like private acting classes or – No, I was in another improv group at the time. Oh, okay. So what was their name? Seven Course Theater. Okay. We did corporate <laughs> improv. Oh, really? Yes. Why did I – was I in uh, – <clears throat> I was probably in Athens. Yeah, you were in Athens. Yeah, so this yeah. is my senior year of college. Gotcha. Um, and Corporate uh, improv. Yeah, you'd go – so, I mean, you know, you, we did gigs at like at comedy at, shops. like IBM? Oh. No, no, we did comedy <laughs> shops as well. But, you know, they, they made their money like – Oh, interesting. You know, you're, so you bring in someone to like entertain the staff or whatever? Yeah, yeah. Here's a function. And tonight, you know, before the speaker comes on, we got improv. <laughs> Give me a non-geographic non- location. Right, Great. right. You know, so um, – oh, That's funny. It was funny. And one of the best gigs I had with this group is that um, – tell me to stop if I need to. No. But they um, – so – uh, they were hired by this big paper company to send uh, – the, the paper company would send all their management to these resorts for a week to learn how to <laughs> yeah. hire better employees. That's very Dunder Mifflin. <laughs> yeah. And we were – these actors, it was like five of us would fly there and we had these fake backgrounds, these fake right. resumes, fake everything. Oh, and we would apply for these jobs. And uh-huh. they thought we were real people. They didn't know we were actors. Huh. And so you're sitting in a room – interviewing hour after hour for five hours with these people and you're just lying to their face. Yeah. You know, and... Um, and that was and a paid gig? Yeah, it was like $350 for like the, wow. the whole flight and travel. And, you know, you got to eat uh-huh. for, for three days. And, and so you were just like a plant, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Huh. But they, you know, but these are like eager managers. So they'd be like, hey, hey, uh, you know, you'd be outside like having coffee and they're like, right. hey, you know, yesterday you talked about living in Cincinnati. I'm from Cincinnati. Tell me about <laughs> your like, favorite restaurant. You're like, oh, Ooh. shit. Yeah. Like, I really like uh, um, Outback Steaks. <laughs> <laughs> I remember my friend coming out and he goes, I just told them I worked at a restaurant called Hot Buns. <laughs> what the hell is Hot Buns? <laughs> yeah, like, so man. then uh, you go on to found the Whole World yep. Theater, right. which was in Atlanta at the time, like a really big deal, I feel like. It was fun. I mean, we were, uh, you know, it was a dozen actor kids. We we had no money. We we just did it all ourselves. Yeah. We built the theater. So cool. We, um, you know, we ended up debating whether we wanted to move to L.A. to change our careers there right. or stay here. And I was working at uh, a production company at the time. And mm-hmm. so I did some research and we bought all the cameras and we filmed our own TV pilot here. And we sold the show. I remember that. To... Castle Rock, right? Uh, well, first to Turner South. Okay. Oh, that's we, right. We did like eight episodes for Turner South, and mm. then we sold the show to Castle Rock. Right. Um, and then together we pitched Fox and created a pilot for Fox. Right. And that was around 2000. Um, and then, uh, you know, the pilot went nowhere. It was right. just like they spent like $700,000 on an improv show. Yeah. Probably, you know, which just sucked. Um, and uh, Such a different time for TV, too. Yeah, yeah, you know? and and it was nothing like what we started. You know, it was nothing. The pilot was nothing like the dirty, right. hardcore, just like crazy, funny, yeah. raw comedy that we were doing at the time. Right. And there's some amazing talent that I mean, you know, these people 
people who were actors with us at the time or, you know, Sarah Baker's gotten huge. Yeah, you know, I mean, I feel like all of you Lance have gone on to do great huge. things. Sarah yeah. Baker, uh, for the listeners, um, she had a – well, she's she was in uh, The Candidate and played Zach Galifianakis's wife in that movie, uh, the Will Ferrell movie. Um, but she made a lot of waves when she guested on Louie um, in that one episode. Yeah, The Fat Girl Sings. Yeah, man. She was so good in that. And Sarah's just – I mean, everyone was so talented, and I feel like everyone's gone on to do stuff. Lance has written for TV, and, like, Michael Snow did stuff for a while, right? Yeah, I think so. He was doing stuff. Phil, like, you know, people are editors. Everybody seems to be either— Found their place. Yeah. yeah. Anna, Lauren. I mean, they've all, they've all like, they're all doing really well in entertainment. Yeah. And I, and I shuffled over to, you know, I, I remember when Lance left the theater, he's like, I'll give you four hours and I'll teach you how to edit. And I was like, okay. Because I was like oh, producing wow. and he was editing. So he talked me, you know, in about four hours, taught me how to edit. And uh-huh. so that launched the next part of my career, yeah. going from actor to editor. You did that for a while, huh? Yeah. Um, and I still will edit, you know, I mean. It's because it's the most fun part of the process. Well, you definitely have the most control over the story and the timing. And yeah. It's phenomenal what you can do in an edit room and what. You know, sometimes people just give you footage and just say, right. make this cool. You, you know? still got your chops? Uh, I don't know. I can sit in a room and tell you what, you know, how to, like, the timing here is off. And, right. You know, I can sit in a room and tell you what sucks. <laughs> yeah, no, I try not to do that. <laughs> um, but there are some really, you know, pretty fantastic editors that I work with, and you just you just go, oh, crap, I don't, I don't know all these things that you're doing now. Right. You know? So Yeah, because it's like, I'm sure every six months there's new. Yep. Plugins and information and tricks and stuff like that. Right. Um, uh, and then, um, you know, I remember just being an editor and having some of my clients go, oh, I wish you would just direct this for us because right. you know, it's like, okay, well, I'll, I'll learn how to uh, – yeah, I'll, I'll direct it. You know, I know how to act. I know how to edit. Yeah, What's that's next? two so. huge uh, advantages, I think, to be a director. Uh, and, of course, they're all stripes of great directors. But I think being a being a former actor or a current actor who directs is – I don't know, man. That's a really, like, nice thing to have in your hip pocket. It's it's interesting because there are behind-the-scenes photos or videos and things like that of me, and you see me playing all the parts. Like, my face is contorting and my body's contorting, and I just play all the parts while I'm watching the monitor. Oh, really? And when the acting doesn't match up with what I'm doing, <laughs> I realize either I'm wrong or they're wrong. Oh, and so wow. that's when my time. That's when I realized, like, okay, the timing on that beat wasn't right, right. because this is how I felt it the whole time. Uh-huh. So let's let's talk this through. And then I can give them notes of like, you know, rather than like turn your face to the left and then say it. I'm just like, right. you, know, you know that feeling when you when your shoulder hurts and you have to get uh-huh. it out? You know, that's <laughs> what I want right here. And it, and it really hopefully yeah. helps the actors still give their performance, not my performance. Right. Uh, except in, in the commercial world. Yeah. Where I do most of my work where I'm just like, I literally need you to lean a, right. a millimeter to the left yeah. and wink that left eye. Right, Ready, right. Go. I don't care. (laughs) I'm sure that can get a little tedious with just – because you have to – you know, if you're listening and you never worked on like TV commercials and stuff, it's a – you have to walk a line as a director because you are hired to satisfy the client uh, and that's kind of it. Yeah. Like you get to have your fun and sometimes you can sell them on your ideas and stuff, but sometimes you can't. Yeah. And you just got to suck it up and do it. (laughs) Yeah. You know? Uh, Yeah. And I mean, you know, you – Try to allow time for what you want in the in the right. schedule, so that all right, we're going to get your thing. Give me ten minutes to do my way to do the better way. <laughs> yeah, 
And and like and you often say, didn't you come up with this? Didn't, wasn't <laughs> that did, didn't I hear you say this <laughs> like when we were having coffee that day? Well, let, let's just do it either way. I, they I probably sure. always go, yeah, I, yeah, I totally did. Yeah, I think so. Do you, do you think it's funny? The thing, I, yeah. I still work in advertising. So I know. I was about sh- to say we probably shouldn't. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they're all great. They are. No, I mean, and and right now, I, I, you know, I mean, my career went f- twenty years of freelance editing, directing, yeah. and everything, and now I'm full time at an ad agency. Where yeah, I'm, just for like what th- four years now? Yeah, I did two years at at, an, at one agency, and now it's been a year and a half right. at another, and I'm running a department of a production company. And yeah. It's just like having my own production company, except we're salaried and we've got steady work right. and, you know, That's amazing nice. people. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you get to take more risks and you get to spend the time that you want on a project yeah. instead of like, well, shit, I've only got one day allocated for this. Right. That's all I can do. So, uh, well, let's talk about good intentions because, um, if, uh, the listener saw when, very sadly, when Luke Perry died, I put up a post on the Movie Crushers page or the Movie Crush page about like the night that we all spent. You were the third <laughs> – well, not the third part. Like you were the first part. You're the reason it happened. But uh, that weird night we had hanging out on 90210 day. Insane. Uh, and he was just the nicest, best guy. And then when he passed away, we everyone got all these stories. And I was glad that it was like validated that uh, that he was this guy. So yeah. tell tell the story about Good Intentions, like how that movie came about. So in um, in 2005, I directed a um, a short film, a 48-hour film festival. Oh, right. That's right. And um, I won the Atlanta portion of it, and then uh-huh. we went on to win the entire international festival. Right. Which one was that? Uh, it's called Moved. Right. Yeah. So um, – and the producers that we partnered with on that, um, they had this script in development called mm-hmm. Good Intentions. So it was like, well, you did a good job with that. You know, do you want to come? Uh, let's shoot it. We're going to shoot a trailer mm-hmm. for this. And I swear to God, they, we spent $100,000 shooting a trailer really? back then. This is, you know, 06. Yeah. So it was all on film. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had local actors doing all the parts. And um, uh, and then the, the trailer we used to raise money for the rest of the movie. Right. Um, so, uh, you know, we had I actually wanted Harry Connick Jr. to play the role. <laughs> oh, no interesting. Um, I mean, he's neither Southern nor any of those things, but I just thought no, he's Southern, so much, right? Well, I guess he's Louisiana. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a certain kind of Southern. Though. Yeah. Um, and uh, the producers were able to connect with Luke Perry. I, I think Harry wasn't available and he had the same agent as Luke. Because so. you could afford like one name actor pretty much, right? I mean, well, that's not true because you had John Grice. Yeah, Leanne Rimes. Uh, yeah, that's yeah, right. Um, uh, they, they all worked pretty cheap, yeah. though. They had to have. Yeah. And John Grice was like my win, like him and Jimmy Simpson. Like, you know. Oh, uh, Jimmy Simpson. That's right. Yeah. The, Boy, he's two great. People, I mean, he is really funny. Oh, yeah. And it seems like the stuff that he's been doing lately is all drama. Oh, really? Yeah. I remember um, I had this movie in development and I called him up. I was like, hey, you know, Jimmy, uh, you know, I want you to come play this movie. I'm going to just, I'm going to offer you the part. And he's like, and his response is like, oh, you need to talk to my manager. I'm oh, like, oh. oh, man. But I didn't realize like he actually had a career path in mind. Yeah. Not just like bouncing around from project to project. But it's that thing where you're like, oh, I'm not even going to like make you audition. Like yeah. you got the part. Yeah. And he's like, um. <laughs> Yeah, I've yeah. had that stuff happen. Yeah, I don't shine <laughs> shoes no more. You know, Get your fucking shine yeah, box. Exactly. <laughs> oh yeah. Uh, and you actually, I mean, we've always looked out for each other, and you, um, you got me to do some rewrites on the script, 
before I, oh, yeah. I mean, I had never done anything. Remember that? Yeah. I did some rewrites and I rewrote a couple of scenes that like, it was the first time I'd ever had uh, like actors say words that I wrote. I forgot about that. That was filmed. One, yeah. of the, one of them was a Jimmy scene. Yeah. And I just, I don't know. That was really cool. That's so. cool. Well, okay. you, you, you had written. Years later. <laughs> you had written Sweet, Sweet Spirit, which mm-hmm. I was such a fan of. Yeah. And still, you know, still am. I think. I mean, is that going to happen? Oh, if we make that no. movie. It would work great. I want to do it like all African American cast. Ah, that'd be good. That way, yeah, that's a good twist on that. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, so I got to write some stuff, and then um, for those of you who who listened to the Tony Shalhoub episode, Jim was the conduit there too because you met Tony years ago on the movie that and Brooke that Brooke directed, right? Uh, Tony directed. Oh, Tony directed. Yeah, Brooke made up. Yeah, made up. Uh, Brooke and her sister Lynn wrote the movie. Okay, that's right. So good story. Um, uh, me and Lance and our friend Kalen had just driven across country, mm-hmm. and we were uh, going to stay at Tony's house. Like I'd befriended Tony years before, mm-hmm. and we were going to stay in his guest house for a few days. And he's like, oh, you know, my wife wants me to direct this movie, and I don't, <laughs> I don't want to invest in it. I don't want to put my money. And I'm like, okay, sh- I, I got an idea. So I call up my friend. This guy, Bob, he's uh-huh. like tons of money. He invested in a bunch of other stuff. I'm like, hey, Bob, it's Jim. I'm at Tony Shalhoub's house. Listen, if we play our cards right, I, I might be able to get you to, to, to invest, to executive produce his next movie. <laughs> I got to go. Bye. And he's like, whoa, whoa, what was that? I was like, oh, don't worry about it. We're going we're gonna to work this out. Uh-huh. And literally call back 10 minutes later. I'm like, listen, Bob, when are you going to be in L.A.? Because Tony's going to make a movie and I want you to produce it. Uh-huh. And he's like, ah, I'll be there next week. I'm like, get us a table at Spago, <laughs> Stat. In Spago in the 90s, you know. Right. It's like, it's Saturday night at 8 o'clock. Make it happen, Bob. And sure enough, there's like 10 of us, you know. It's like Tony and Brooke and Bob, all the grownups. Uh-huh. And then me and like seven of our idiot friends right. all sitting around this table <laughs> in the middle of Spago, food fights and like being silly. And I remember all these like celebrities nearby. Yeah. And Tony and Brooke are talking to Bob about like, you know, well, the investment and returns and blah, blah, blah. Right. You know, and Bob's like, uh, you know, he's a carpet millionaire. Right. He doesn't care. And I'm like, wait, don't you guys have extra Academy Award tickets? You should take Bob. Let's all go to the Oscars. Oh, my God. And Bob's like, wait, you can do that? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, let's all go to the Oscars. And the next day, he's like, I'm committed. We're funding this movie. And he funded the movie. Like, wow. You know, when you get to a point and you're in your 70s and you've got a shit ton of money. Yeah. Like, you want to go to the Oscars. You don't, you know, making $50,000 back on your 100. You know, he doesn't care about that. Yeah. Stuff. So, so that's how that movie. Did came he go to the together. Oscars? Yeah, he went. Okay, he went, they they took him for like two years. He called. He called the next year. He's like, oh, you still got Oscars tickets? They're like, yeah. Uh, and uh, so then after that, they just started giving him the tickets. There, he went like five years in a row to yeah. the Oscars. Wow. And he'd take his friends. You know, his that's other awesome. people. Yeah. Um, but I mean, talking to Tony was just like he was at your wedding, so I met him there. Yeah. Um, but sitting down with him in New York for the Butch Cassidy episode was. You know how, like, we both just have so much respect for him, and uh, it was just slightly surreal to, like, finally be in a room and, like, talking one-on-one with him with that voice of his. And <laughs> yeah. He's just, I don't know. He's nice great. as can be. Yeah, just— First time I met him, so I met his guy. sister, and we don't have to talk too much about this, but I met his sister, and she's like, oh, you have to meet my brother. You remind me so much of him. Uh-huh. She had come to, like, some acting things, some whole world performances. So I flew to L.A. to meet him, mm-hmm. and I'm sitting in a, you know, talking to him, nervous, sweating, just yeah. sweat, 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 sweat. <laughs> and I start quoting movies that he yeah. had done. Barton Fink. Yeah, Barton Fink, you know, Lou, how's Lipnick's ass smell this morning? <laughs> what? So Shit, no. You know, and then I, and then I started um, quoting the soup Nazi to him. Oh, no. He was not the soup Nazi. <laughs> he looks a lot like him, though. Yeah, so he in, was in he fairness. was kind. I didn't realize until weeks later that it wasn't. Hey, him. Tony, no soup yeah. for you. 
didn't yeah. even know what you were talking about? Or yeah, was he just yeah, like, he was why just nice. is he saying I can't have he soup? He was nice. He, 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 right. did, he just didn't make me feel stupid. Yeah, That's yeah. That's the guy he is. So, oh, man. Yeah. And we, you know, we still... We went and saw him at uh, in the band's visit last year. And oh, that's fantastic. right. Yeah, he went, you went to New York and saw yeah. him on Broadway. And, you know, we went and he introduced my daughter to the cast and uh, took that's her backstage so cool. and she got to hang out. I'm like, honey, this is not how broad you, – yeah. you don't normally get to hang out right. in the, the star's <laughs> dressing room after the show. So. Yeah, you have to do that with kids when they get to do special things like that because kids are just like, oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. sure. Like yeah. my dad knows the lead actor. <laughs> He's like, uh, this is a big deal. Yeah. You should appreciate it. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, that's awesome. He's a good guy. I appreciate that hookup. Brooke mm-hmm. was very sweet as well. Mm-hmm. That was fun. Hey, this is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. As a nostalgic voice from your past, I'm here to remind you that amongst the stressful and chaotic existence we live in 2024, you deserve to get away. It's time for a vacation, no matter when you're hearing this. And let me tell you how you'll get there. The 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe. Want to bring the family to the mountains with the Santa Fe's available H-Track all-wheel drive? Well, it's got standard third-row seating and available dual wireless charging pads for the kids who just want to stare at their phone and not talk to you. You know what I mean. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This is Amy Brown from Four Things with Amy Brown. Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. It's wellness destinations for seniors, including select locations with Oak Street Health and CVS Pharmacy. It's doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and everyone in between offering quality care and support virtually, in person, and on the phone. It's in-home evaluations through Signify Health and meeting mental health needs through Aetna. And those are just a few of the ways that Healthier is happening. To see more, visit cvshealth.com slash healthier happens together. CVS Pharmacy, Oak Street Health, CVS Specialty, Signify Health, and Aetna are part of CVS Health. Eligibility and services vary by location and individual. This is Ashley Iconetti from the Ben and Ashley I Almost Famous podcast. Tennessee just sounds perfect. Whether that's live music, the crack of a campfire, or kids laughing on an adventure, To start planning your trip, visit tnvacation.com. Tennessee. Sounds perfect. Should we talk about Rushmore? Sure. Yeah. So uh, you went back and forth a little bit and sent sort of a list over like some people do. Almost Famous was it for a while. We we almost talked about that, which would have been great because I love that movie. I do too, and because we play in a rock and roll band together, I thought oh, we could. Oh, that's right! I should. Uh, Jim is the drummer, everyone, for uh, El Chipo. El Chipo, yeah. <laughs> uh, so I thought you know that would be a good angle for uh-huh. us because we could talk music all day. But the Rushmore soundtrack is yeah one of the greatest soundtracks of all time, in, for sure. In, at least for my generation, absolutely. Um, yeah, I to this day still edit. And we use that um, the hardest geometry problem for like uh-huh. half the pitch videos that we'll do. Yeah, yeah it'll start off. It's pretty great. Well, I watched this last night for the gazillionth time, and as soon as that music starts and the I think it's Touchstone logo comes up, it just like I got a little chill right now. Even it's just so evocative because this movie was like I had Bottle Rocket is one of three movies that stand out to me that my brother called me up and said, go see. Uh, in high school, he told me to go see Blue Velvet. Mm. Uh, early college, he told me to go see uh, Shallow Grave. Oh. And um, 
then Bottle Rocket. He was like, you got to go see Bottle Rocket. Just find it. Trust me. Go see it. And so I had seen Bottle Rocket in the theater, which uh, not a ton of people can claim to have done Mm -hmm. because, you know, Wes Anderson before he was Wes Anderson. But this kind of was too. Like he got a little bit of currency with Bottle Rocket, but not really. Like this movie was still done on the cheap and was still a proving ground for him. Absolutely. And, you know, I think I I read that he – Traveled around with a bus and two big screen TVs, like doing like yeah, yeah, with Schwartzman screenings, yeah, yeah, of it. Um, and, and Bottle Rocket was, I think, I don't know if it was more Wes Anderson than this. Like it was sort of defined, I think, how he would shoot this movie. Yeah, I had to think that he at least had all these ideas in his head, and For maybe sure. wasn't sure that they were going to work on camera, and yeah. then you know, tested them out. On Bottle Rocket. Yeah, like sure enough. the DNA of Wes Anderson is all in Bottle Rocket. I had already did that one with uh, Dave Willis. But Rushmore was, I think, more true to what his, his ultimate vision would be, yeah. which is required a little bit more money, um, even though this was still low budget compared to what he would go on to, like, uh, you know, budgets he would get later in his career. Mm-hmm. But Rushmore is still pretty much on the cheap. Like I read Bill Murray. He wanted to do it for free. Yeah. Uh, but he worked for scale, and I think he made nine grand on it. Yeah, which is crazy. <laughs> and and he even there was a helicopter scene that was supposed to be in it, I and Disney that. wouldn't pay for it. Yeah. But he offered to pay for the scene. Yeah, just said he gave him a blank check and was like, "Do what you need to do." But they didn't do it. <laughs> and I want to know where this helicopter scene it was supposed to be. Him and Bloom and Schwartzman. Like yeah, that. you know what was? I mean, knowing Wes Anderson, it was probably just him like taking a. <laughs> aerial tour of the aquarium <laughs> site or something because yeah. <laughs> that scene is so – I mean we're going to jump around but that scene is so great when he asks, you know, about spending money on the – when he first goes to see him. And he's like, I think $100,000 for the initial plans. And Bill Murray has that great take where he just <sighs> – and he gets out that big checkbook. I'll give you 2500 <laughs> <laughs> I think it's – yeah. And just the opening shot of the movie is a portrait of yeah. of the family, you yeah. know, and you just establish like oh yeah his attitude. He just looks unhappy. Ronnie they all and look Donnie. Unhappy. Oh man, those guys. I mean, just a fantastic. <laughs> like you, you know, you want your opening shot. You think about that opening shot. Oh yeah. All like, how do I open your this first movie? and your last shots are just so important. Yeah, and it's it's a portrait yeah. of, the, of, the, of the Bloom family. <laughs> Uh, so that music's going on. You see that portrait. And then um, I, I always talk on the show a lot about the efficiencies of character setup and, like, when a director can just nail a character in, like, the opening sequence, especially with few words, mm-hmm. uh, it's just, like, masterful to me. And this, that dream sequence of the hardest geometry problem that says everything you need to know about Max Fisher. Yeah. Start- like, that's his – it would have been cool anyway, but that's what he's daydreaming about. <laughs> Or I guess he's fully asleep, yeah. but he's daydreaming about being the hero for solving a math problem. Yeah, and he's got his tea in his hand. Uh-huh. You know, he just the, – the, the, the professor chucks him that chalk, you know, and yeah. just gets right into it, you know. and just, it just the, set the tone so, like, perfectly. He's the hero. He saved the day yeah. of that class ever having to do homework again. Well, and it's funny because that um, – you know, I've seen all these movies usually a bunch of times. But when you really look at it through this critical eye, you notice so much more. But all throughout the movie, that's all he's doing is trying to impress people. Like he saved Latin. And the geometry thing was a dream, but he saved them from that. Yeah. He builds the aquarium for her. Like most of it's for Miss Cross, of course. Mm-hmm. But all he's doing is trying to like impress people with his actions because I think he knows that he's – I mean we think he has a great personality. But yeah. in true to life, Max Fisher is like 
probably not fun. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Well, and, I, and uh, honestly, I was trying to think, I was like, am I, was I like Max Fisher in high school? Like I talked my way into a lot of, like I was not that great of a student. But I was in all these electives. That's I was a little like, Max Fisher in both of us, I think. I think so. Yeah. And I, and I think that's maybe why we relate to the character in the movie and we like him. And, yeah. You know, I think. Um, and you were sort of playing adult a little bit, too. Yeah. At a younger age. I definitely was. Like I, you were a 16-year-old working in a, a suit shop in the mall <laughs> with like, you were the youngest guy there by 20 years probably. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, we can we can talk about that place, but you know, like I, I see also in my daughter a lot of the Max Fisher, like oh, like really? she's she's you know she goes to a, a kind of an elite private school, yeah, yeah. you know, and she that's the Rushmore of Atlanta, probably, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and she wants everything to be in a, a specific way, uh-huh. and she's the team leader for you know in her class, yeah. and she's always making sure things are happening. Uh huh. Um, Maxine she, Fisher, yeah. Um, so. It cuts right from there to – well, first of all, the premise of the movie basically – and you know this when you watch it and you, you're a fan of Rushmore. Like, yeah, he like – he acts so adult. But the whole kind of premise of the movie is what if there was a kid who behaved completely like an adult and everyone else around him treated him like an adult? And I looked it up and sure enough, Wes Anderson's direct quote, you know, he he wrote this with Owen Wilson, of course um, – and I miss those Owen Wilson mm-hmm. co-written scripts. I yeah. think those are the best ones, yeah. those first three. But he said one of the most appealing things to us was the initial idea, the 15-year-old kid and a 50-year-old man becoming friends and equals. <laughs> <laughs> and that's really yeah. – that's the DNA of the whole movie Yeah, from him offering to pay for like the concession stand <laughs> yeah. treats. Like, no, I got this. At the this. wrestling match. Yeah. yeah. I mean it's all – and him having like a scotch at dinner. Yeah. It's all like – they all treat him like an adult, which is just the best like running gag in the whole movie. I kind of thought – I wondered if – is Max like a young Dignan? Is, you know, is oh, like with all that planning everything out and having yeah. – you know, here's a five-year plan and here's a 10-year plan. Here's our 50-year plan. I think so know? and I think they're all a little Wes what, Anderson. Or, or Owen Wilson. Well, a little bit of both. Apparently, Wes Anderson – Owen Wilson was the side of Max that got kicked out of private school. Yeah. He got kicked out and went to the public school. And the Wes Anderson side was he had a real crush on an older woman – and I think was uh, tried to endear himself through like, you know, solving issues and, yeah. you know, saving Latin and stuff like that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I wonder if he succeeded. He auditioned like 1,800 kids and then someone introduced him to Schwartzman, who now it's like, you know, it's Jason Schwartzman. But yeah. back then he was he was no one. Yeah. I mean, he was a Coppola. So right. he had to lug up, obviously. And he showed up at the audition with a, a blazer and he made a little Rushmore patch yeah, made that his own he patch. stitched onto it. And, um, <laughs> um, now, his mom was uh, – is Coppola's sister. I think so, right? And she was in Rocky, right? Wasn't she – Oh, is his mom Talia Shire? Yeah, yeah. Oh, OK. Yeah. Yeah. So that's Francis Ford Coppola's sister. Right. So he's cousins of uh, Sophia. Yeah. yeah. And she introduced him to Wes Anderson. She's right. the one who got him the audition. I Sophia. think so, yeah. yeah. Amazing. It's crazy. Yeah, I mean, I can't imagine. I know that they uh, – he wanted to cast Noah Taylor, who you would – he was actually in Almost Famous. He played the the shitty manager. He's the English guy. Oh. Uh, he's been in a gazillion oh, things. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. I looked at him and I was – because they wanted to be sort of a skinny – first of all, it was going to be set in London. 
And then when he got expelled, he was going to go to Detroit because he wanted the two most polar opposite experiences. But then they just set it all in Houston. Um, But Noah Taylor is 11 years older. He's my age. He's our age. And I was like, that doesn't work at all. He's 11 years older than Jason Schwartzman even. That's weird. So he would have been in his like mid to late 20s playing a 15-year-old, which, I mean, he as a scrawny guy, he may have gotten away with it. But I just think that Jason Schwartzman, like, they said they get, he reminded him of like a Dustin Hoffman, which I think you get a lot of that graduate yeah. homage all through yeah. the movie. For sure. Um, yeah, and, and um, God, there was, a, there was a couple other references to the graduate – uh, well, the the pool, the scene, pool scene is for sure. Yeah, like when Benjamin uh, in the graduate and he is in the scuba suit and just sort of stays underwater for a while. Uh, Bill Murray sort of does that after yeah. his cannonball, <laughs> <laughs> just throwing chucking. And the the little kid, I, I think I remember listening to the director's commentary twenty years ago or something. Uh-huh. And the the little kid who's swimming in the pool, yeah, yeah, it's not Dirk, it's like this other kid, yeah. He, um, uh, he was like an extra that they saw on day one. And then I think Wes Anderson just started putting him like in all these He's scenes. in a bunch of scenes. Yeah, and it's hilarious. And I remember telling my wife when we were watching the other day, I was like, oh, there's the kid, the blah, blah, blah. She's like, what are you talking about? <laughs> I'm like, uh, he's in all the scenes. You'll see. Is this a guy's movie? Because I've heard that accusation before. Emily loves it. But like, uh, you know, Stacy, mm-hmm. uh, Stacy Horn, she mm-hmm. was like, that's a total guy's movie. Like, I didn't like it. Yeah. I was like, well, maybe it is. Maybe. I mean, I think we all had that, like, like we always wanted to have this plan and put it together and everything yeah. was an adventure. It's like, um, uh, oh, gosh, what's the, the baseball movie with the kids? The, the Sandlot. The Sandlot, yeah. You know, where everything was just like, all right, we're going to do this plan. Let's go do it. Right. You know? and, and I know that me and my friends all, like, or stand by me. Did, yeah. yeah. Everything was like this adventure and you had to, like, for sure, make it happen. Yeah. And it was like life or death. So. I kind of see that from uh, a guy in the 80s relating to it. Yeah. I don't know if it's still I think it appealed of... to a certain guy at a certain age for sure, mm-hmm. which is to say us. <laughs> <laughs> but I think – I'm curious to hear some feedback from the from the ladies um, to see what they think about this movie. Um, but you've got that great speech of uh, Bill Murray about Rushmore and, and taking out the rich. <laughs> And that's where that seed is planted. And yeah. afterward, Bill Murray's just talking about what a sharp guy. <laughs> and Brian Cox with the line, he's one of the worst students we've got. <laughs> and then it goes into that, you know, one of the, I think, three or four montages. Um, and they didn't want the studio was, uh, I think, gave him a hard time about the the school activity montage, which is so fucking great. Yeah. Because you know how, as a director, like, it's – a three-second shot to set everything up for just, like, that's a lot. Mm-hmm. But Wes Anderson apparently was adamant. So as a director, what do you do? You just knock them out when you can. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I can relate with um, – although I did not succeed as Wes Anderson did. When we did Good <laughs> Intentions, the movie starts – the way the movie starts now, it's actually page 11. So oh. there was 10 pages of – opening scene that set everything up like from right. the you know from the late 70s early 80s it's like this flash this like opening scene from you know when Etta the main character was a child uh-huh. so oh that's right like, that wasn't like, that didn't make the final no cut? it not not only did not make the final cut it never got shot oh. you know about seven days into the into shooting we realized some like what some do you gotta mon- lose yeah what do you gotta cut yeah. and that was uh you know, but Wes Anderson's like, screw it, we're going to do this. And they just did these pickup shots like, yep. whenever they could. That's and they how you do it. Happen. I mean, that's the kind of stuff you've been on set where you're like, all right, let's do like a half lunch. Like, is yeah. that okay with you guys? Yeah. 
And, you know, the actors are always game for stuff like that. Yeah. And now, as you know, I mean, I do that stuff all the time. And you ask my producers, they hate me because I'm oh, like, sure. you know, I'm You're like stealing people and well, cameramen and like, yeah. come on, let's go. Oh, yeah. And they're like, hey, Jim, you know, we can't do 27 shots in one day. I'm like, yeah, we can. Yeah. I got it all figured out. Come on, guys. Let's do this. Who's with me? You know, and every, every shoot, it's just becoming more and more ridiculous of like, yeah. But, you know, you find a way because there's no way, like, which of my babies am I going right. to, am I going to lose? I'm not losing any. So, and and that's that's fantastic. And as a filmmaker and a commercial director mm-hmm. in the early two thousands, you know, you basically every pitch you went into seemed that uh, was a comedy. They're like, you know, like Wes Anderson. Right. <laughs> and and I swear to God, and I still say this, like I would go into a meeting and I would kind of listen to what the creative directors would say. Right. And I would say that and I was like, yeah, you know, I want to do that, but with a little more Wes Anderson to it. And they'd be like, oh, you're brilliant. Right. You're so right. <laughs> I'm like, right? You know, a little center cut punch. And yeah, then you got, yeah. You, I did not think of that. Yeah. Like, oh. so, Let's do these real symmetrical frames. Yeah. Widescreen. And then there was a time in, uh, like during the recession when I literally was put up for a spot. And I'm like, who else is up for this? And like, oh, Wes Anderson. I'm like, well, really? Yeah. I wow. mean, Everybody at that point was like all of a sudden weren't were doing the yeah, yeah. the lower tier jobs. Uh-huh. I'm like, so I'm seriously not even a consideration now. Get someone to give you that bot and fink yeah. feeling. Oh, that bot and fink <laughs> feeling. And since you're bot and fink, you got it in spades. Seriously, bot. <laughs> um, so what's your favorite of his activities? Because they just bombard you and they're all so funny. I think my, I wrote down a bunch, but my favorite, I think, ended up being the uh, Bombardment Society <laughs> with the dodgeball. Yeah. Uh, well, Just I, so silly and fun. I, I love that he brought fencing to the to – the, um, Oh, to the public, to, to the Cleveland. Yeah, but it wasn't. You know, he just he's just going to practice. You know, yeah. in the middle of the basketball practice. Right. So. Well, but he said in his little speech, he's like, "I noticed you guys are the fencing club. I really want to try to get one started for you guys." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Almost as if like I know I'm going to be gone, but I'm going to leave something behind yeah. for you, and that is the fencing club. Yeah, the Max Fisher <laughs> Fencing Society. Um, oh man, it's so good. Um, and I, and of course, I have just a ton of lines in here that I'll randomly read as we go. I'm sure you have the same. But when he's uh, getting uh, – he and Brian Cox have that great scene when he's trying to negotiate his stay, even though he's like <laughs> failing everything. Yeah. He goes uh, – he has two lines that killed me in that. His one is, uh, can I see some documentation on that, please? <laughs> and then he goes – at the very end of that scene, he goes, can we just let me float by for old time's sake? Ah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, you know, Brian Cox so good in that of just like Yeah. He's awesome. You know, and and you think about him now and you're just like, "Oh my gosh, like he has just I, I mean, he's had that presence on camera forever." Oh yeah. You know. Um and and just the way he just looks at Max and talks to Max. I'm just mm-hmm. like, "No, we're not doing this again. Yeah. I, we've been here. We've had this conversation <laughs> 6,000 times." You yeah. Know? Um It's a case and I think we've all, I mean, you and I had a little Max in us for sure because I remember teachers that – it's sort of like Brian Cox that they're exasperated. Yeah. But they also know that we're like – they didn't dislike us. We weren't bad kids. Yeah. But there were a lot of like parent-teacher conferences where my mom would go in and be like, oh, Chuck's mom. <laughs> like, you know, a little disruptive maybe. Yeah. Was the worst thing you could say about us? Well, we – you know, we didn't necessarily just want to do the – Book report the way the teacher wants the whole class to yeah. do the book report. It's like instead of – wait, this was uh, – Look at us now. Yeah. <laughs> there was uh, – yeah, oh, no, it was, my, it was my – in college, 
I had to do uh, in Spanish class. It's mm-hmm. like, you know, you have to give a speech in Spanish. Right. So instead of doing that, I sang I'm Too Sexy in <laughs> Spanish for the class. So I had the That's music, I had the bald head. You know, yeah. it's like, uh-huh. I don't want to do a speech. <laughs> Can I just sing I'm Too Sexy? Well, and then, you know, you're one of those kids that was probably like, well, technically it is a speech yeah. just because it's uh, got a tune to it. Right. Teachers love that stuff. Um, I loved uh, Kumar. You know Kumar, yeah. Mister Mr. Little Jeans. Yeah, Mr. Re- you know he and his son were both in this. Yeah, because his son was in real life was the math teacher. Yeah, who was the bookstore guy in Bottle Rocket. Yeah, and uh, sadly, he's Mister Little Jeans passed away. You know, a few years ago. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. he's not around. Best play ever. <laughs> so his line is best play ever. <laughs> My favorite is in Bottle Rocket. Kumar is like. Kumar, Kumar. You know, he's like, yeah. what happened, man? Oh, I fucked up, man. I, I fucked, fucked up, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, and he's at the end of the Max Fisher play of uh, Heaven and Hell, it, he's just dying laughing. And they get that one, like, super close-up shot of him just, like, laughing his ass off with the safety glasses on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. It's so great. Best play ever. Uh, so we are introduced then to the Max Fisher, the idea of Max Fisher Productions, mm-hmm. which is a through line through the movie of, um, I thought, was he doing Serpico? Yeah. Okay. That was early. He did Serpico at Rushmore. No, what, was, no. what was the one he did at, at Grover Cleveland that where they were like, like gangsters? Remember uh, they had the scene where he's like the gangster in the car? Yeah, yeah. Kind of I don't like know essay. what that was. I think that I think that was just a made up. I think okay, that was something so he wrote. Fisher original. Yeah, I think so. And then the end was Heaven and Hell. Was that supposed to be Oliver Stone's? Yeah, it's like hell? it was like an Apocalypse Now uh-huh. thing. Because so. I think did, didn't Oliver Stone have a movie called Heaven and Hell? Oh, I don't know. I don't know. I think so about a a soldier who uh, Tommy Lee Jones. Maybe it wasn't called Heaven and Hell. My Lee. <laughs> yeah, interesting. <laughs> um. But we get introduced to the Max Fisher Productions part, and again, he sends a kid out for root beer, just a very adult thing to do. <laughs> get everybody root beer. I don't have all – Yeah, I don't want it. I don't want it. Yeah. But that's like the first 10 minutes of the movie is so chock full of character. It's just all character, character, mm-hmm. character. You know, for everyone, you, you're like the level – the table is set basically yeah. at that point. Do you think as a – I mean as a writer, can you – do you feel like you're bombarding people with – I mean – you know, you, you try to introduce people in their environment slowly right. throughout scripts now. You know, I think in, if we think of like TV pilots, TV shows, often the pilot is like that. You're bombarding all the characters, so tough. getting everything in there so yeah. you've got an understanding. But in a movie, I mean, how often is that done where you kind of establish everybody from the beginning? Like, da-da, these are the, right. the players, and now let's go down our, our paths with each of them. I don't know. I mean, this definitely had a stage play feel at times. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he used the motif of the curtains opening and closing. Which they shot practically, right? Those oh, were, really? Yeah, those were in the – they were, you know, a couple right of feet. Right in front of the from, camera? Yeah, right in front of the camera. Little so they little curtain. miniatures? Yeah. Oh, I, I didn't know, know that. That's cool. awesome. Yeah. <sighs> Love filmmaking tricks. Yeah. Uh, but then we finally uh, – well, we meet Ronnie and Donnie, which is great. When <laughs> – get your head out of your ass. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's going to be Max, girls there. Uh, so my um, my – Sister-in-law and her husband live uh, on Johns Island, South Carolina, like this big, oh yeah, you know, giant, beautiful uh-huh. acreage. And they had these two stray orange cats that kept coming around the house, <laughs> and they couldn't name them. And I was like, "It's Ronnie and Donnie," and they named them Ronnie and Donnie. They really? look and act just like them. They come out and they fight each other, and then they leave. You know, so. Uh, and then we meet uh, uh, 
Max's dad, um, another guy who's left us, Seymour Cassell, recently. Yeah. And this character and their relationship I thought was so interesting to really study last night because it never feels father and son. Right. It almost feels like Max lives alone and this is his nice neighbor. I couldn't quite understand. Is he is he trying to ground Max? Like, are we trying to get like, you know, this is Max's grounding. He's he's a, a human, and there, there's interaction with, like, how does he interact with his dad? Is that what he's supposed to be like at home I when he's not trying to put on a performance? Like, but that's he's sort still of the very real, distant. Yeah, it is weird. Like, they don't feel like they're close. And the character is such a sweet guy, you know, when mm-hmm. he tries to change his grade. And, yeah. It's almost an A. Yeah, but there's so many, like, he, Max is so dismissive of him constantly, uh, including in that, that really sad scene at the end where he goes, you know, face it, I'm a barber's son. And he, he looks wounded finally, like he finally got to him. Yeah. Um, and he kind of wrecks all the relationships throughout the movie. And then the last 20 minutes is him repairing all those. Yeah. It is particularly sad in that, you know, that you expect to see him acting differently around the guy who sacrificed everything, Yeah, you know, to take care of him. Or, you know, I mean, you don't get a sense that the dad was selfish and he's become a barber because that's what he wants to do. No, like his mom died when he was seven. Yeah. He's 15, so he's been raising the son for eight years by himself. Yeah. And Max, I mean, Max isn't an asshole, but... He's, uh, you know, he lies about who he is. He's ashamed of who he is. Yeah. And his dad wants to come to dinner after the show. And he's like, cast only, dad. Yeah. Cast and crew only. It's like, oh. And he asks if he needs money. He's like, no, dad. (laughs) Yeah. Just real condescending. I know. I always, I just, I felt bad for him through most of the movie. Um, But everyone does, you know, of course, because it's Owen Wilson and Wes Anderson. Everyone gets there, comes full circle. And at the end of the film, he gets asked to dance by that lady, which is kind of nice. Yeah, yeah. It was good. Um. So Max finally meets Cross, and the first act that he performs with her is lighting her cigarette with a Zippo (laughs) on the bleachers. And And that scene is so good. It is. And, you know, and he, like, enters the frame Uh and then leaves the frame. And then he enters the frame again, and then he comes down. And there's a couple scenes like that. There's a scene where— I know what you're about to say. Where Bill Murray's at Uh the front porch, right? Same situation. With the steps. Yeah. And then and when they cut back to the wide shot, you see that space was really big. Yeah, yeah. So the actor actually had to make this big attempt to Uh make those movements. And it's it's difficult as an actor to take those steps and go so far and to Mm -hmm. communicate with somebody. So there's there's a separation that— that Wes Anderson was doing to the actors mm-hmm. in the scene that forces you to be – to have to try a little bit harder to connect. You know, it's oh, easy to connect. You and I were sitting across from each other. Right. You can't help it. Right. You know, but when you put them – you put Max behind her and to yeah. the left, uh-huh. you know, he has to really reach to connect with her. Yeah. And she's got – you know, she's reading um, – I, can't, I wrote it down, but, I, you know, he's trying to find any excuse to come over right. and then to light that cigarette. And, you know, as a filmmaker, you're yeah. like. Yeah. The geography of a scene and the blocking is so important. And I think that's like the layman doesn't uh, un- like know about this stuff and how important that is. Yeah. And, and oftentimes, you know, you want one character facing one way and one another. And right. in the reality of things, those two areas are not next to each other. So, right. you, you know, you have to fake it. But also you don't want to – you don't want this to be so different emotionally and texturally to yeah. the actor to where their eyes look different, to where their – you know, the, the 
the, the space affects you. I right. mean, you know, you really, as a director, you want to create an atmosphere, make sure the blocking works, um, invigorate your actors to have an emotional connection, mm -hmm. and then let them play within the scene. Right. And if the texture of the room or the situation uh, changes, it, it really just it makes completely different performances. Yeah, because, I mean, to get a scene in the can, like, directing the actors is not the easiest part, but, like, it's got to work for camera. It's got to work for lighting. Mm -hmm. It's got, like, all these things have to work together, and then you have to get the fucking scene to work. Right, yeah. And, and you know, and what's interesting is a lot of times what we'll do is, you you know, you end one scene, and the next thing you do is you get your actors mm -hmm. and your keys, you know, the cinematographer and the the key gaffer and the grip. You know, you get you get us in the room and then we rehearse the scene, we right. block it out. And that's when you're really for the first time like, well, shit, this this location was great three right. weeks ago. Right, right, and right. And now that the actors are here, you know, it's somebody different. wants to do something. So you're really kind of refiguring it out. Mm -hmm. And meanwhile, you've got 30 or 40 people standing around kind of watching right. this process happen. And you really just kind of want everybody to go away and let me just yeah. play with the actors. And sometimes we call for that. Like, yeah, yeah. You know, everybody, like, you know, this is just just me and the keys or me and the talent. You know? Right. And, and, and you have to, at that point, really figure out, in my heart, in three weeks ago when I was here blocking this by myself and the DP, mm -hmm. it all made sense. And right. now the actor's trying something different and it's not working. Is it my instinct that's wrong mm -hmm. or is it their instinct that's wrong? And you... You know, and and I I remember one scene that I shot years ago, and I remember the 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 director of photography talking me out of how I initially wanted to shoot it. Really, and I was like, well, he must be right. You know, and, right? And he was wrong. It didn't work the way it uh -huh. should have worked. You know, <laughs> and from then on, and same with Good Intentions. I uh, I walked into a room, and John Grice and Gary Holmes, Gary, uh, darn it, um, they're super tall. Two super tall dudes like, hey, oh, yeah, we yeah. want to talk to you about this scene. Right. You know, and they're trying to talk me out of it. And you as a director have to really figure out like, yeah, like these are really smart people. Yeah. Uh, is my instinct wrong or is their instinct wrong? And I think that's part of the trick of being a director though. A good one is like you got to be nimble. Mm -hmm. You got to know when to stick to your guns and when to open yourself up to that collaboration. And yeah. when you do stick to your guns to make it appear like you're still open and not, you know, you can't be like a – a dictator. Yeah, but but people certainly smell blood in the water, and it's right. you know once you once show weakness, <laughs> show weakness, or or show like you don't understand what yeah, you're yeah. doing. Like this that, guy doesn't know what he's doing. That's that's, that's no tough. good. Right. You know. I mean, it, you want this chair, or this chair. You know that one. Right. <laughs> I'm wholeheartedly committing to that red chair right now. I saw a thing where Wes Anderson said it, it, on the first day of shooting, he whispered his direction to Bill Murray kind of quietly because he was afraid. To get shot down in front of everyone. Yeah. And Bill Murray, of course, was Bill Murray. So that just wasn't the case. It's petrifying. Yeah. You know? Oh, I'm sure. Because um, he was still just so uh, green, you know. Yeah. I mean, bottle rocket aside, like Bill Murray was a big – it was Bill Murray. Yeah. Can you imagine? I mean, I hear stories of uh, actor, you know, uh, uh, like commercial directors trying to give movie stars direction, yeah. you know, and the oh, movie sure. stars just saying – Screw you. Yeah. This is what I do. You don't tell me what to do. Uh, There's that famous clip of De Niro, right, where someone's trying to d direct De Niro for like a PSA he was doing. And he was just kind of like, are you fucking kidding me? Yeah. <laughs> well, or, um, or the, the um, oh, my gosh, uh, Rosebud. The, Orson, uh, Orson Welles. Yeah. Do you ever listen to that audio? 
clip of uh, oh no oh my gosh it is the best <laughs> berating of a, a of a a radio ad you've ever heard I mean it, oh it, wait it, I think I yeah. have heard that yeah 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 he's trying to do like set oh gosh it's fantastic I had that an experience so with, with um John Grice when we were filming. Um, so we're, you know, we're like day 20, 21, something of this like 30 day shoot. Right. And, uh, and it was a scene I just didn't care about. I didn't know what to do in it. And I did that thing where, you know, he's like, oh, t- you know, tell me what to do and give him a couple notes. I'm like, you know, have fun with it. And I walk away. Oh boy. And he's like, no, 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 no. Like in front of everybody. Yeah. You don't do that to me. That's like you a bullshit direction. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You don't tell me to have fun with it. You don't know what you want. You figure out what you want me to figure it out here in front of everybody with the cameras rolling. Oh, Jesus. And it was just, and you know, I mean, I was probably yeah, 30 man. years old, 28, 20, yeah. you know, and That's I've tough. never said that since then, you know, because yeah. Everybody says it. Like, you know, have fun with it. It's like, right. fuck you. You don't know what you yeah, want. Yeah, that is kind of bullshit. And I literally just like, okay, do this. Yeah. And he did it. And, you know, but it is uh, it is a task you're putting on somebody else yeah. to figure out. And it's just not fair. And, you know, and I think yeah. that Wes Anderson is very specific in exactly what he yeah, wants. Yeah, for sure. And he can – he can get that across, but yet still let you be Bill Murray and yeah. let you still be Owen Wilson. I think you feel a lot of Bill Murray's stuff in here. Like I would – I've never read the script, but like I guarantee you in the script, um, it, doesn't, it doesn't say after he goes and visits Mrs. Cross by himself for the first time and the little kid, the cute-ass little kid is painting the painting. Yeah. Um, that after they talk, you know – uh, Herman Bloom turns and sprints away <laughs> yeah, off yeah. the playground yeah. like that. There's no way that's like you could feel Bill Murray yeah. just making some weird choice. Yeah. And I laughed again last night and I was like, what is he doing? Why is he running like that? <laughs> or the, you know, when he when he stuffs the kid on the basketball court. Like yeah. There's so many playful Bill Murray moments uh, that you can tell sort of came from him. But there's something about that crush, you know, that Bill Murray's having that he probably hasn't had in 30 years, yeah. you know, so he is a kid again. Well, he acts like like when he leaves on their date uh, at 2 a.m. when Max is sitting in the car, I never really notice it, but he runs down the sidewalk like a little kid after a first date, and yeah. it's just like fucking adorable. <laughs> and he gets in the car, and, you know, Max is sitting in the back seat like the Grim Reaper. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and, and he just looks back. Yeah. You know, he looks at him like, <laughs> I knew you were going to catch me one of these days. Uh, so, all right. Now, Max is in love. With Miss Cross, it's clear from the beginning, and they have that great, um, great bonding moment with the uh, with the scene with the fish. Um, and it's real easy. I made a note here. It's like really easy just to sort of laugh at Rush at, at Max Fisher and Jason Schwartzman. It's like he's so precocious and this and that, but he's a, he's doing some really great acting in this movie. Yeah, especially in that scene. Like, just blew me away how like. He was able to connect with her and like – Where she's talking about how she was married Yeah, and he's talking about how his mom died. It's like such a good scene. Yeah. And she's very undersung in this movie. Yeah. Because you got this big big personalities all around her and she's just like this solid central core. And, and, you know, you're you're able to appreciate them because of the work that she's doing. Yeah. To just be steady Mm -hmm. and – like she just delivers her lines so well that, yeah. that gives them room to be subtle mm-hmm. and be real yeah. and then to be uh, not obnoxious but to be um, over the top and yeah. just, you know. Because she couldn't be. Yeah. She had to be the – I mean she's the only sort of realistic character in the movie right. in some ways. Right. 
Um, and that's that's tough, I think, to like she doesn't get to go big or do anything kind of fun or crazy. Yeah. But she's really good. I think she's very undersung in this film. And yeah. that's hard as an actor because everybody around you is getting the laughs and everybody around you is getting the, oh, great job. Oh, yeah. That was so good. And, right. You know, you want to you want to be a part of the gang. Yeah, you yeah. Know? To and that's be impressive or whatever. That's happened a lot where, you know, somebody, you know, an actor will do something that's hilarious. You know, that's just – and everybody on the crew is laughing and the producers right. are laughing and the financing people are laughing and you're like – but that's not what I want right there. Yeah. You know, and you have to fight it. And you know that when you get to the edit room, you're going to have to fight it. And you're just, you know, it's hard to stick to your guns as a filmmaker when you're controlling the exact tone. And when the actor right. needs that, like, appreciation. Yeah, or they something. need that little ego boost. Yeah. Actors have egos? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so they do the, the first play. And then um, I, th- there's a few, like, Max is always the ad- acting like an adult, but there are like a few really distinct times in the movie where he is a 15-year-old. And one of them is at the post-play dinner with uh, with Luke Wilson. Oh, are they? Yeah. <laughs> I have a couple of lines in here. Um, I like your nurse's uniform guy. <laughs> such a dick. These are, he's such an asshole to yeah. him. Um, but this is one of the scenes where he acts like a child because – after, you know, so I'm, you know, I wrote a hit play and directed it, so I'm not sweating it either. Yeah. Like, he's putting on this front, but he finally acts like a child. And you even hear his voice go up, and he goes, you hurt my feelings. Yeah. And like, he's like, it's a reminder, like, he's fucking 15. Yeah. And and is he a spoiled brat who's just finally just like, I'm going to use my hurt my feelings card? Or is he really I think his he's, feelings hurt? I think he's know? a kid who's in love for the first time, doesn't know what to do with these feelings. Yeah. Uh, like he thinks he has a legitimate shot with her. Yeah. And until he, it turns sexual right. in that later scene, which yeah. is just brutal. Yeah. Well, and he he tries he's trying of that and I and I wrote a hit play. Mm-hmm. Like really? I mean, yeah. you're really going to go up against this OR nurse, you know, I mean, right. this adult? Yeah, yeah. So, um Well, that's when the reality comes crashing down on him like nothing he writes the play, he saves Latin, he does all these things to impress her, and she is impressed, but, like, he can't have the one thing he wants, which is to be 30. Yeah. Well, she says to him, like, well, that was never a, a an what, you know, do you not find me attractive? Or yeah. She's, she, he says, she says, that doesn't, that, has yeah, nothing to do with it. It doesn't you know? come into it. And yeah. he's like, if you say so. <laughs> Just every, just those little subtle moments. Yeah, like, man. how do you? It's just like a hundred. How of is them. the camera not shaking? I know. The, the, you know the laughter of the crew. So good. Uh, so then after that, then Bloom visits Cross, and that scene that we were talking about on the stairs, Ooh. and it's just a very sweet scene. Um, and the way he played it, like up and down the stairs, is really interesting. It's just enough to like shake it up. I think. Yeah, in that. You know that they don't have anything planned, and he's just finding any excuse to like continue the conversation yeah. with her. Um, you having some carrots there? Yeah, <laughs> some snack. Yeah, um, it's just—I mean, you, you know—you you, kind of relate as a to all. You've you've been in that position where you're trying to keep the conversation going, yeah. keep the night going, keep the date like w- right. one more little something or another. Uh-huh. Did he have anything planned for us? No, right. You know? <laughs> And they take their walk, and it's like, I don't know, it's, 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 you, you root for them, I think, mm-hmm. even though, uh, like, you don't see what goes bad. 
Like yeah. she references it, you know, like her dead husband has more creativity and zeal or whatever than he does in his whole body and his one fingernail than Herman does. And, but you don't see any of that happening. Yeah. Like you don't see it go bad. Well, and he's married. Well. But then, you know, the wife I guess, has her. Yeah. Pool boy guy. <laughs> Brought a tuna fish and a peanut butter sandwich. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, another time when Max is a kid, one of a few is when, uh, He's expelled, and there's that one shot of him crying in the office. Yeah, uh, that's just very short, but just super like just like wrecks you. Yeah, if you love Max. Yeah, I think so. And and you you can't imagine that he's not going to be at Rushmore. Like that is everything right. to him. Everything. So how could they do that? To, you know, yeah. like, give him one last shot. It's the know? worst possible offense. Like I don't think he thought it would happen. Yeah. And the ends up at Grover, Grover Cleveland, which is where we – it kind of starts the second act where he meets Margaret Yang. Yeah. Who is a physician now, by the way. Oh, really? Yeah. She went to Brown and then she went to like Chicago, University of Chicago Med School. Oh, my gosh. And she majored in biology at Brown. And I was like, oh, that's why she doesn't act anymore. Yeah. Because she's uh, doing great. <laughs> yeah. She's doing all right. So he asked her to take her glasses off? Huh? Yeah. That's such a great scene. Uh, doesn't Rocky do that to – to Oh. Yeah, he does that same. To Talia Shire. Yeah, Talia Shire. He asked her to take her glasses off. Oh, I never thought about yeah. that. Interesting. Yeah, there. I mean, she's she's so great as uh, Margaret Yang. What's uh, I have her name in here. Sarah Tanaka. Yeah. Got to shout her out. As well as uh, maybe my favorite character in the movie is Dirk. Yeah. <laughs> Mason Gamble. Truce! Truce! <laughs> he called Truce! That little, like, squeaky kid yeah. voice is so cute. Uh, and then Stephen McColl as uh, Magnus yeah. is awesome, too. Uh, so Dirk, uh, what's the actor's name? Uh, he, he was... Mason Gamble. He played Richie Rich, which yeah. I didn't see. So everyone was like, oh, yeah, it was Richie Rich. I'm like, no, that's Dirk to me. Yeah, <laughs> I know. I didn't realize it either. But yeah. evidently that um, Wes Anderson had an issue with it. He didn't want like a famous actor kid. Yeah, because he had, you know. Just it, played Richie Rich. Yeah, it's, it's like, huge at the time. it was a big deal, I think. Yeah. Um, but God, Dirk was so good when he, when he spits on the car. Yeah, <laughs> something about that. Friends tri- like you, who needs friends? Hey. <laughs> uh, the which you know the, is the title of the music at that time. Yeah, on the which, score. You know, and and I've listened to that soundtrack so much and yeah. used the songs, and I didn't never really realize they were the titles were lines from the from the movie. Yeah, yeah, from those scenes. Um, the great Mark Mothersbaugh. I had a uh, interest. I was at a party one night, and Mark. Mother's Ball was on the other side of a oh, FaceTime wow. video. This is like – it wasn't oh, okay. FaceTime. It was like iChat video yeah, back yeah. then. And so you would t- you stood in line to chat with him. Really? It was weird party and you, you, you like went over there and he was talking to you and doing sound and music to whatever your conversation wow. was. What it was very strange. Was this? I don't know. And I probably – you know, it was like you had 30 seconds or a minute to chat with uh-huh. him. And so it was a very strange, strange wow. thing that – but that was my. Did you brush with Mark Mothersbaugh? <laughs> yeah, except for stealing his music for every pitch video that I've, I've done. Uh, well, everyone's done that. Uh, you're certainly not the only one. Uh, but then Max goes back and sees Miss Cross. Uh, I miss Rushmore. I miss the seasons. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so great. Another, you know, just acting like an adult. Uh, but the funny thing with the kid stuff, though, is like their view of sexuality is like hand jobs. I know. Which is such a. 15-year-old boy thing. It's yeah. not like – which is sweet and sort of innocent. They're not saying like, oh, did you bang her? You, you yeah. know, try to have sex with her? Yeah. Like they're just like 
they're at hand job level. Yeah. You know? And it's uh and you know, I I was wanted to watch this movie and I was like, well, can my daughter watch it? She's nine years old, you know? Oh, yeah. And I read, and I read the, like, hand jobs, fingering. Hand sure. Jobs. I, like, ah, I don't remember that. And then you're just like, oh, shit, they're talking about, you know, yeah. like it's. Probably can't, uh, not yeah. yet. <laughs> yeah, not yet. So, Adele, stop listening to this podcast right now. Uh, but it is interesting with his sexuality because in that scene I mentioned when he, when she finally, like, confronts him, uh, it's brutal. Yeah. And, but necessary. And. You know, he you're, you there's that one second where you almost feel like he's going to I don't want to say overpower her, but just like force himself. Well, he grabs and, her yeah, head. Yeah, and she you know she yeah. just pushes. I mean, as a I mean, when you're watching the movie, you're just like, oh shit, yeah, this yeah. is going to go very bad. If yeah, he, you know, if it's this very goes, uncomfortable. Yeah. So the fact that she just pushes him down and he, uh, I that love that he falls and boxes. jumps right back up. You know, you're like. <laughs> It's maybe the best, like, fall I've seen in movies. It was yeah. so, like, there was something about it, the way he just slips on those boxes and pops up. <laughs> and do you do that take again and he does the same thing? I don't or is know, that the man. one time? I like, wonder about that I can't stuff. imagine that was choreographed. You no. Know, but it, it, it looks so real, yeah. you know. Um, so the hand job thing is planted, though, with uh, – leads to his complications with Dirk. Like, mm-hmm. every relationship, again, he destroys by his actions – by his selfish actions. Yeah. And each one has to be resolved. Of course, he resolves with Dirk in like the, the sweetest way ever. Yeah. In the barber shop. Yeah. And Dirk brings him the Christmas present. No. <laughs> Do, is he, you know, and I mean, all that happened because he wanted to mag- Magnus, you know. Yeah. You know, because – like he's trying to prove himself a man to to yeah you know it's just like all he's doing in the movie is trying to prove himself to be more than he is yeah whether it's a big director or like a developer an aquarium builder yeah it's interesting and, and Max's mother yeah who wasn't she the woman in um uh uh, uh devil devil's advocate was she wait the, who Max's mother or no, uh, Bill Murray's wife no, no neither uh Dirks. Dirk's mom. Oh, Dirk's mom. Yeah. Oh, I don't know. Is she, is she in Devil's Advocate? I don't know. I don't think I ever saw Devil's Advocate all the way through. I'm a fan of man. <laughs> That's my favorite line. I'm Don't, a phantom man? I'm a fan of man. Oh. It's the devil. I'm a fan of man. <laughs> you always did a great Pacino. I love it. So then we kind of spin into later in that second act, and this is when we get Bad Max, um, when he, he sort of flips and – Another one of the great montages is with the Who uh, for a quick one while he's away. Yeah. When, the, like, all the sabotages that start with – well, it starts with Bill Murray going into the, the hotel. One of the great lines, he goes, and sir, how long are you going to staying here? <laughs> Indefinitely, I'm being sued for divorce. <laughs> <laughs> like, the trick of moving – it's sort of like in uh, Tannenbaum's when someone moves into a hotel. It's such, like, a rich guy thing to yeah. do. <laughs> yeah. With all the suitcases and the bellhops back there. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. You're it's just like, like, I'm going to order room service every night and someone's going to make my fucking bed every morning. <laughs> it's not that bad for Mr. for Mr. Bloom. But that that montage is so great. Yeah. And that was the first time I remember hearing that song. Like, I don't think I'm yeah. familiar with that song. No, that was that, a, you know? that's a deep who cut for sure. Uh, and just from then on, it's just, you know – the emotion of him and when he comes out of the elevator, yeah, you know, and he's got the B box oh, and he just takes his gum and he sticks yeah, it on yeah. the wall. And that the, great slow mo shot, it's perfect, it's so perfect. Like, it's just you know, who thought about putting that gum on the wall there? Like, why did you, you know, 
Yeah. Th- those little decisions that you make that stick with us 20-something years, you know, how many years Yeah, there's so many little cherries on top of the scenes. Um, after uh, – I had it written down. It was after – oh, it was after the scene where Dirk spits on the car and, you know, with friends like you who needs friends. Mm-hmm. Th- that scene could have ended right there. But it adds that little cherry on top, if you remember. He goes back, and Ronnie and Donnie keep locking the door. Oh, God, yes, that's it. And Bill Murray is just in a fucking rage. I love it. He just wants to murder them. (laughs) They're just cracking up, and their faces, like, just... But, like, they didn't need to shoot that, you know? That had nothing to do with, really, the story. But it's those little bitty things that, like, I think great directors, and Wes Anderson does especially, that just, like, enrich it, you know? Yeah, and, and, you know, I I think that you think about the edit of a movie and how it comes together and... As, what you lose as a filmmaker. Well, what? But there are scenes that you will cut, but you want to just shoot. I, I don't have time to shoot that whole scene, but I need to shoot this microphone moving from one side of the room to the other, right? Because that's going to give me that emotional breath, or it's going to give me that cleanse that happens. And we needed that laugh at that point, you know? right? We needed something ridiculous to happen, and the fact that Wes and Owen thought about that mm-hmm. ahead of time, yeah. You know, yeah. that, that the audience is going to need this, like, breath of just like, yeah. you know, to move forward. It's just fantastic. Well, and it's just another example, too, of uh, Bill Murray is just being controlled by these children mm-hmm. at every turn, whether it's Dirk threatening him yeah. or Max or his fucking, I never, in a million years, I never imagined I'd have sons like these. <laughs> <laughs> another one of the great lines. Well, and that also reminds me of him in, uh, Trans uh, lost in translation when he's looking at the the carpet carpet swatches. Yes, you know, and yeah. she's just she's like, "Do you like the blah 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 red one or the other?" Such one? a great, you like know, mundane, seemingly mundane thing. And Bill Murray just makes you feel like I could see where he got to this point in his life. Yeah. You know, like I could see he had everything going great. He is a super successful person in uh-huh. all these movies, but yeah. yet he just lets the world defeat him and lets the world beat him down slowly. You know, moment by moment to where his little shithead kids are locking the yeah. door at him, you know, out of his Bentley, you know. Like, yeah, he – I think he um, he even said that well, – where's this quote about being in this movie and why he did it? Because you get the feeling like that there's so much Bill Murray and all this stuff. Oh, he says here uh, – he said when he read the script, he said, I thought it was about – for this character, it was about the struggle for him to retain civility and kindness – in the face of extraordinary pain, and I felt a lot of that in my life. Oh, my gosh. So it's like I think that's who Bill Murray is. Yeah. That's why he crashes weddings and like – Yeah. You know? Yeah. I think he is sad. Yeah. He's and a I sad mean, clown. Yeah, and I mean he I, – I, I know people who have run into him in Charleston through right. the years and he – you know, and he – like my uh, friends of my wife, when they were having a baby, he brought them a gift, you know? It's really? Just like – yeah. He, he doesn't – they restore his, his furniture. You oh, know? wow. You know, that's their relationship. But yet he still brought a gift because he yeah. wanted them to like him, you know, yeah. or something. That's so, so cool that he lives in Charleston too. Yeah. I know we're going to run into him one day there. Um, So th- basically after the barber – I'm a barber son scene, this is when uh, Dirk comes by and that sort of kickstarts the the last third of this film where he starts having to repair all these relationships. Yeah. And Dirk's is first, um, and then Herman's is next, and that's when they meet up in the elevator 
that great scene in the hospital <laughs> elevator, which you know is so much Bill Murray, like, yeah. improving. Yeah. He tucks the beer <laughs> and shoves it between the, the sheets. Yeah, and... shoving everything between the sheets. Oh, my gosh. And when the, when the elevator door opens, he just plays it so perfect. He just kind of stands there with a cigarette in his mouth and sort of looks around. <laughs> then it shuts again. He sticks the can back under the sheet. Oh, <laughs> What's he say? I've been a little uh, depressed lately. Yeah. Uh, but that scene has the sort of the crux of the film um, or the relationship triangle, I guess, for lack of a better word, as Bill Murray says, she's in love with a dead guy anyway. Uh, and that's sort of the crux. Like, neither he nor Max can have her. Yeah. Right. So they both not only thought they had a shot, they both sacrificed everything at that time mm-hmm. for her. And, you know, what she got out of Max was companionship or, you know. Yeah, someone that reminded her of her husband, I think. Yeah. And then what she got out of Bloom was, you know, just whatever made her feel good at the time. But neither was a a real option. And so many times, you know, people in society realize that they're, you know, they – they see something that they think is an opportunity that yeah. they that they build to be way more than it is because that's the way we want it to be. Right. But in reality, it's just it was never an option. You no. know, I mean the delusion Certainly for Max. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think there's a lot about the the delusions that we make as people to make us feel like either feel better about ourselves or feel like there is hope. Yeah. You know, I mean Yeah. Is it you know But they end with hope. Uh with uh, – and, you know, we're not finishing up, but, you know, they – we end with a hopeful note that he and, and Miss Cross will be together. Yeah. Uh, but it's not over the top. Yeah. You know, they they sit together at the play and they're kind to one another and they had that great talk during intermission. And I think that's all you need. Yeah. Is a little bit of hope there, you know? Yeah. Because you don't see it go bad. You don't see why it's bad. Yeah. I'm trying to remember the very ending. Was that – it was a slow motion shot. What was it? Um it was one of the, it was a shot that starts in real time and then goes to slow motion. Oh yeah, they ramp the camera. Yeah, yeah. Which is the same way they ended Bottle Rocket, where Dignan is walking in the jail. Yeah, and it's like a normal shot, and then uh-huh. it kind of ramps into the slow motion. And it's I think kinda, it's the same in Tannenbaum's too. I don't remember. It's the the cemetery scene when they all leave the gravestone and they shut yeah. the shut the gate that frames up Tannenbaum's like in the iron wrought iron. Wow. Dead center of the screen, of course. Yeah, and you have to do a lot to shoot these scenes in, you know, fully in slow motion and then ramp yeah. it down. Plus, you're doing dialogue in that tone. You know, it's just. What's your thought on Wes Anderson's like one trick pony thing? Like, I I want him just to keep making these movies as they are for the end till the end of time. I don't mm-hmm. need to see him do anything else. But he's uh, getting knocked a bit for it here and there. I've seen. Well, I mean, if I want to see a different kind of movie, I'll go see a different kind of movie. Yeah. If I want to see a, a Wes Anderson movie, you know, when I want lobster, I go to Red Lobster. Yeah. You know, it's like, no, it's true. Uh, I mean, you know, I think that he's uh, – I mean, Mr. Fox was his, his stretch of doing something completely different. Yeah, but it's still, true. The timing and the tone and the character developments were all similar. Um, yeah, I love it. Yeah, I don't. I don't need to see him do other things. Right. I mean, even his American Express commercials are fantastic. Yeah. You know, they are great. I saw the one with Schwartzman. I yeah. haven't seen a ton of them, but that one was great. Uh, the big one where he gets where he yeah. ends and he's on the lift. Yeah, 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 where he was a director or whatever. And the the doves. Yeah. Or the pigeons, <laughs> whatever they were. I saw this morning. I was looking up um, 
I haven't watched the MTV Movie Awards since, you know, I was a kid. But after this movie, they did one, the next year at the Movie Awards, they did the Max Fisher Players did reenactments of all the movies. Oh, my god! And gosh. it is so awesome. It's did, like Truman Show and Out of Sight. Uh, I can't remember what else was out that year. Wow. But it's it's the whole gang. It's Margaret Yang and Dirk and oh all my. of them. It's really, really cool. I need to go back and watch that. Yeah, it's great. Out of Sight is a great movie, too, by the way. Oh, I fucking love that movie. Out of Sight is a really good one. Love it. Uh, so Max tries again. He the, the bike crash scene where he totally fully manipulates her into getting into the bedroom. Yeah. And he still tries to kiss her. And this is when it gets, like, legit creepy because yeah. she's – she doesn't allow it, but she's like stays close up on him in bed. Yeah, and especially like these days, it's like, oh boy. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, and just the you know, it's 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 past um, desperate attempt with him. It's, yeah, you know, crazy. Yeah, like yeah. it's out of hand at that point. I'm gonna put you know fake blood on my head yeah. and get in bed. You know, he pops in the tape. tape. Yeah. <laughs> I love the end of that scene, though, where she's like, I need to show you the door. And he's like, I'll just go back out the window. (laughs) (laughs) Another time when he's a 15-year-old. But then things start to pick up. And then we get that great, like, last bit when he's um, starting with the the kite flying uh, scene Mm -hmm. in the remote plane with Margaret Yang. That's when we hear that great music cue from Cat Stevens. Yeah. Everything's changed in his attitude. And – you hear the very important words, uh, take dictation, please. Yeah. And Dirk is just like, you can see how excited uh, he is that he's got Max back. Yeah. You know, like he's refound himself. And Margaret Yang becomes like the coolest. I mean, she's. Yeah, she's the muse. Yeah. She's flying a, yeah. a remote control plane. <laughs> well, it's funny. What makes him really, really fall for her is uh, when she's and when everything turns is when she says that she faked the results of her science experiment. Yes. He's like, what do you mean? She's like, it, it didn't work. Yeah. It didn't work, so I faked it. And that's when he goes, oh, like yeah. there's something else to her. That's awesome. <laughs> you know, to – like I, I just love the 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 flaws in all these people, yeah. you know, and just even Margaret Yang has this – Yeah. Not just a flaw, but, you know. A big one. Yeah. She like faked and won a competition. Uh, I saw that he initially had her having a wooden finger because she got it blown off in a lab experiment. Yeah. But then he brought that back for Tannenbaums because right. uh, what's her name? Uh, Margot had a wooden finger. Yeah. <laughs> it's just a funny Wes Anderson thing like, oh, I didn't get my wooden finger there. Yeah. <laughs> I'll put it in the next movie. And I, yeah, I remember uh, early like blocking out like the first movie or commercial I'd done or something. Somebody yeah. was just like – this is not your only movie. It's just your first movie. You don't right. have to put everything in. Yeah, yeah. I'm, like, I'm sure oh, that's but, you know, tough. We need steady cams. We yeah. need this. And I <laughs> that's the instinct. <laughs> yeah. Well, you don't know if you're ever going to get to do it again. Sure. Um, so then he starts repairing his relationship with Bill Murray, and we get that great – one of my favorite scenes in the movie is when Herman comes to the barbershop, and he offers him up the one of the two pins mm-hmm. to wear. I'll take punctuality. Yeah. <laughs> and the scene where he, he meets uh, Burt Fisher is just like so good. Yeah. Like it makes me want to cry when I see that scene now because it's, it's all right there, man. He like the second he realizes this is Max's dad. Yeah. Like it all kind of clicks in his head. Like that's what's going on here. Yeah. You have – yeah. You, you – I mean take that aim on the rich ones. Yeah. You know, he, he did take that – Yeah. He did all his yeah. life, you know. So – 
he's been doing that, and now he realizes, like, oh shit, I was talking to this kid. Yeah, and and he and he just like what Bill Murray does with his face in that scene in that four seconds uh, is just so great. When you see that realization, and then he warms his -hmm. face up and like shakes his hand. Yeah, and it's just so awesome. Fucking love that scene. Unbelievable. Uh, So he he cleans him up, um, and that's when he invigorates him. And, uh, you know, they both got a little pep in their step after that scene, which they both needed. They needed to find each other. And then you get that the last montage, which is that silly scene to Oyoko. (laughs) (laughs) They're, like, exercising with the steel pipes and stuff. Is that when they do the bunny hops on the bike? Yeah, Yeah, it's just so goofy. Yeah. I love it, though. Like, why not, you know? Yeah. It was so playful. In the, it's like the, in the, the sound, like who decided that they were going to play Oh Yoko for that? I know. In the middle of the night. Yeah. It's such a good song. I mean, all the music dro- needle drops are just so perfect. So it's a love song and they're having this like comeback montage. Is that, you know, is it the the love of two humans coming together or is it just like, eh, it's just a cute song? I mean, sometimes you like read yeah. too far into. Right. Like, like the lyrics. Yeah. Yeah. Versus just like it just makes me feel good. Yeah, I think I think both. Yeah. It's a song about, you know, John wrote about loving someone. I think it totally is both. Yeah. Yeah, I think the the lyrics matter in this case. Uh and then finally we get the play, we get that great tracking shot down the line of people like mm-hmm. sitting down for the play with just like a fucking hundred extras. Yeah. Um and then the play itself is just like the funnest part is me thinking like Wes Anderson got to do these Got to do that play. I know. Like I, I, I mean, <laughs> just the just the idea of like what could what would I have done if yeah. I had unlimited funds as a kid <laughs> to make a play to make to impress all my friends. Like I'm not trying to impress my peers now. How would I have impressed my friends? Right. In you know in when I was 15. Yeah. <laughs> That's cool to think about. You know. Heaven and hell. Well, he he repairs his relationship with Mangus yeah. or Magnus. Like all of them, it really goes character to character. Um, the flame throwing scenes and the yeah, you know, it's like, <laughs> sorry, no, it's great with Dirk. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but he had repaired a scene with his dad in the scene where he introduces Herman to him. Mm-hmm. Like that's the only time you see Max really smiling and being warm with his father, uh, and really proud of him. Right. It's it's important, you know. Yeah, yeah. They like an audience needed to see that. I think. Yeah. You know. Still don't forgive him for being such a dick to his dad. But. <laughs> no, I mean, I'm, I'm with you there for sure. Uh, and then you get the reunion of Herman and Cross during the intermission, which is really just sort of perfectly played. Yeah. And then the, the Heaven and Hell cotillion, which finishes out the movie, the, <laughs> yeah. the, the post. Uh, it's like the most elaborate uh, rap party yeah. of a high school play ever. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I, it's just – like not beating a dead horse, but just like no, let's go one step further. Yeah. You know, it's the official. Yeah, the the yes and that we say in improv. Uh-huh. It's like he yes anded everything. Like not yeah. only you know when you when you uh, have a great art department and a great you know you say hey I just you know I need you to build me a cotillion for this final scene. Right. And the art department says we can do that. Yeah. You know? yeah <laughs> it's yeah. just like we're gonna put the best. Ever, yeah. You know? it's, it's like, like if a Hollywood movie like that's what they would do for their rap party. Yeah. Is like totally set deck it out. Yeah. <laughs> So uh, and, you know, it, it in, in such a great way, like everyone um, it has that great tracking shot from person to person. And 
Bill Murray, you know, he finally realizes he's got a girlfriend and he admits that mm-hmm. and they're switching dance partners and uh, you get that great last shot. I had a uh, – one of the Stuff You Should Know listeners is an artist, a pencil artist, and he wrote me and he said, hey, I like to do movie stills and just pick one and I'll do one for you. And I thought – and I was like, that last shot of Rushmore. Oh, wow. And I'll have to show it next time you're over at the house. I'll have yeah. to show it to you. He did this great widescreen pencil drawing of – of he and uh, Mrs. Cross, like chest to chest. Oh, wow. Uh, for that dance. It's awesome. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I'm going to get it framed. It's really cool. That is cool. Yeah. Such a great movie. I'm looking at my trivia to see if there was anything else. Oh, that was Rushmore was Wes Anderson's real high school. Yeah. Like he shot at his high school right. in Houston, which is kind of cool. And the, the, the public school that they filmed that was just across the street yeah, from the right. <laughs> from the private. So you had this like these elite kids like <laughs> across the street from normal kids, you know. Right. It's just like Yeah, that's the ultimate like across the tracks insult. Yeah. Hey, this is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude Tanneritos. As a nostalgic voice from your past, I'm here to remind you that amongst the stressful and chaotic existence we live in 2024. You deserve to get away. It's time for a vacation, no matter when you're hearing this. And let me tell you how you'll get there. The 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe. Want to bring the family to the mountains with the Santa Fe's available H-Track all-wheel drive? Well, it's got standard third-row seating and available dual wireless charging pads for the kids who just want to stare at their phone and not talk to you. You know what I mean. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. This is Amy Brown from Four Things with Amy Brown. Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. It's wellness destinations for seniors, including select locations with Oak Street Health and CVS Pharmacy. It's doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and everyone in between offering quality care and support virtually in person, and on the phone. It's in-home evaluations through Signify Health and meeting mental health needs through Aetna. And those are just a few of the ways that Healthier is happening. To see more, visit cvshealth.com slash healthier happens together. CVS Pharmacy, Oak Street Health, CVS Specialty, Signify Health, and Aetna are part of CVS Health. Eligibility and services vary by location and individual. This is Ashley Iconetti from the Ben and Ashley I Almost Famous Podcast. Tennessee just sounds perfect, whether that's live music, the crack of a campfire, or kids laughing on an adventure. To start planning your trip, visit tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect. All right, dude. Well, we finish with five questions. Okay. What's the first movie you remember seeing in a theater? Um. I think it was High Anxiety. Oh, Mel Brooks? I think so. I remember being taken to that movie when I was too young, and I don't remember anything about it. Mm -hmm. But that's all I remember. I remember seeing that in the theater. Okay. Like, I don't know. I don't remember. It's funny because mine was Blazing Saddles. I went to the drive-in with my parents, and I sat, and that's all, you know, I don't remember it. Yeah. I I don't know if I remember, if there was something before that, but for some reason... Like I remember being in Florida uh-huh. as a kid, seeing that movie. In a, it's probably rated R or something stupid. Did your parents take you? No, I, I don't think I've ever been to the movies with my parents. Really? Yeah, I cannot remember ever going to the movies with my parents. Well, actually, now that you think, <laughs> now that you mentioned, I don't know if I ever did, because my dad wasn't into it. I talk about that all the time yeah. on the show. He was not into movies. I used to go a lot with Joey Dorlick. Yeah, the sure. Movies. 
I, yeah, I didn't go to the movies much with my parents either. Yeah. But you we were I, the you, latchkey generation. You and I saw Barton Fink together oh, in the yeah. theater. That was big. Golly, that was a life changer. It was very big. Yep. I think we saw Miller's Crossing together too, didn't we? I think so. For the first time. Um, what is the first R-rated movie that you saw? Do you remember? Uh, At home or anywhere? Uh, Caddyshack, probably. All right. Um, also, um, Car Wash. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know? I remember Car Wash. Yeah. I remember those uh-huh. distinctly. Yeah. Because um, <laughs> you, I mean, your parents, uh, your mom and dad weren't like super strict. No. They've always been pretty cool. Yeah. They they were fu- they were cool about stuff like, like that. Like they trusted you guys. Yeah. I feel like. And I remember we had a cable box that you would open up and if you moved the little mm-hmm. electronic things just right, then sure. you got all the channels. So. Yeah. Yeah. We, uh, there's been a lot of talk with various guys in here of our generation about uh, trying to get squiggly boobs on the TV. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> boobs? Were those yeah. boobs? Yeah. Such a big deal. Um, what movie... Oh, no, wait. This one... All right, let's do... Uh, do you walk out of... Will you walk out of a bad movie? I don't think so. Probably not anymore, right? No. I go to movies so rarely now... Yeah, same. ...that I'm going to... I'm going to go. Right. Like, um, you know it's a good movie. Yeah, uh, will I pause one? At, will I stop watching one at home yet? Yeah, that counts. Yeah. yeah. That's the modern version of this yeah. question. <laughs> so you'll bail on a movie if you think it sucks. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But there was something about like being in the theater and like I'm getting up and I'm walking out. The, right. The sort of a statement. I've never – I don't think I've ever done that. Yeah. All right. Uh, all right. This one I tailored to the guest. Let me think here. Or maybe what's your favorite editing in a film um, that comes to mind? I mean, you know, things that changed editing for me mm-hmm. would have been like Snatch, uh-huh. you know, or Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels, uh-huh. or Goodfellas, had an interesting style. I mean, I think this movie's got great editing. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I mean, you, you have these, like, movies where – the style was just just so absurd right. that it just changed the way thing you know the way mm-hmm. that people saw editing and storytelling for the for the next five years. So, yeah, um, I think it was just more influential than right. Love it. Yeah, yeah, and I think Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels is probably one of the most revolutionary editing styles. Yeah, of, you know. Yeah, people generation. really like jumped on that Guy Ritchie style for a yeah. while there. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and then finally. Movie going 101, what is your movie rituals? Where do you sit? What do you eat? Um, I I now have to pee a lot. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I limit the amount of Coca-Cola. Sure. Uh, but no, I mean, you know, I, I think if I can have popcorn and some sort of chocolate, mm-hmm. crunchy something that I'll mix together in there yeah. and a Coke sitting right in the middle, mm-hmm. um, I, I am – I I usually start off every movie very frustrated because <laughs> inevitably whoever I'm going with doesn't want to be there as early as I do. Okay. Like I want to get there at plenty of time to sit and relax mm-hmm. and, you know, like if we're running late, I'm not going to get in line for a soda. Like right. I just – I need to get in the seat and I need to get comfortable yeah, and I need to know way. that I'm there. It's all about that seat. <sighs> yeah. So uh, – but now you just you reserve your seat. That's great. Right? Yeah. 
I could not. I could not go to one of those like we're going to eat food behind you movie theaters. Yeah, I don't like, like that either. I, it drives me mad to hear. I've got a real problem hearing people crunch food uh-huh, and uh-huh. stuff like that. Misophonia. That's yes. What that's yes. Yeah. Like I'll, I, I mean, I, I cannot focus on anything but that popcorn oh. eater behind me. Yeah. So. Yeah. You should go to matinees then. <laughs> yes. Well, I just wait and I buy them and I watch them at home. You know. Right. <laughs> um, and my lovely wife Mita, who is. Fantastic and yeah. smart and beautiful. Yeah. Likes to pause and chat about the movie. Yeah, Emily talks a lot too. Yeah. And, we <laughs> and love boy, them. Emily and Mita together. There's a lot of chatting. Yeah. I'm going to get Mita in here too. That would be fun. She would love, she's really smart. Yeah. I know like she she's is. smart. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll have Mita in here. She, yeah. All right, dude. All right, thanks. Thank you. That was a lot of fun. Good to see you. Can we have band practice yes. this week? Let's do it. All right, bye. All right, folks, I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. I hope there was not too much uh, inside baseball, as they say, with two old buddies kind of sitting around talking to each other in their shorthand. Uh, We tried to make it as accessible as possible for the world at large, and I think we did okay. Uh, Rushmore, great film. Uh, It was so much fun to to watch it again after a little bit of a break. movie I've seen so many times, but it had been a minute, and it was so much fun to sit down and talk with Jim about that. And uh, just giggle with him, and I wish you guys could have seen us in here because there was there was a lot off off mic gestures and nods, and it's one of those things when you're friends with someone for 35 years or so. Uh, there's a, the, that shorthand that you have. Uh, we can be in band practice, and I can look at Jim playing the drums while I'm singing, and we'll just lock eyes and just start fucking laughing at each other for no reason at all. That's just sort of how it is with us. He's the best. Uh, I'm gonna get his wife. Uh, the lovely Mita Isa in here soon. She's wonderful as well. Um, and keep this friends and family thing going. I'm having a lot of fun with these. So I hope you enjoyed our chat on Rushmore. Uh, let us know if we missed something that was important to you. And we'll talk about it on a mini crush. But uh, I hope you dug that. That was a lot of fun. Uh, until next time, uh, why don't you save Latin? Movie Crush is produced, edited, and engineered by Ramsey Yunt here in our home studio at Pont City Market, Atlanta, Georgia, for iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This is Amy Brown from Four Things with Amy Brown. Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. It's wellness destinations for seniors, including select locations with Oak Street Health and CVS Pharmacy. It's doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and everyone in between offering quality care and support virtually 
in person and on the phone. It's in-home evaluations through Signify Health and meeting mental health needs through Aetna. And those are just a few of the ways that Healthier is happening. To see more, visit cvshealth.com slash healthier happens together. CVS Pharmacy, Oak Street Health, CVS Specialty, Signify Health, and Aetna are part of CVS Health. Eligibility and services vary by location and individual. With the new Dexcom G7, you can achieve better diabetes results without painful finger sticks. It sends your glucose numbers to your compatible phone or watch so you can always see where you are and where you're heading. See how food and exercise affects your glucose, making it easier to spend more time in range and lower your A1C. Take more control of your diabetes with the number one recommended CGM brand. It's easy to get started today at Dexcom.com. That's Dexcom.com. Dexcom data on file 2023. If your glucose alerts and readings from the G7 do not match symptoms or expectations, use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions. For a list of compatible devices, visit Dexcom.com slash compatibility.